0: It's good to be back with you again today. Um, Looking forward to our return when we can all gather again as as a body of Christ, just celebrating the joy in the Lord that we have, but with one voice in one room and our worship just goes together. I appreciate Rob leading us in the songs, and, and and I hope you enjoy the time of singing that you can have even intimately in your own home as we turn our our attention now to the message today, it's coming out of the book of Luke, chapter 23, where we've been before. And, And again, we're going to look at some faces about the cross. But in Luke, chapter 23, if you have your Bibles there, go ahead and turn to verse 27 through 31. The Bible reads this way, And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of jerusalem do not weep for me but weep for yourselves and for your children for behold the days are coming when they will say blessed are the barren and the wombs that have never borne the breasts that have never nursed then they will begin to say to the mountains fall on us and the hills cover us for if they do these things when the wood is green what will happen when it is dry I mean, what a different parade this was compared to the one that took place just about a week ago, earlier on this week. This is now a parade of tears. Usually that only happens when children don't get to keep the candy that's thrown at their direction during the parades. But growing up, I remember here in Union, the parades that would happen throughout the year and and being a part of those. The people would line all the streets and, and, and it would celebrate as the parades would go by. They, they would often try to interact with those in the parade that they knew and they would call out their names and they would, they would shout to them and wave to them and, and just enjoy the opportunity as they pass by their area of the parade. Floats would be elaborately decorated just trying to promote their, their class in school or their organization or their church or their their. their the program that they had. And there were marching bands and, and emergency vehicles that were blasting their horns and just enjoying the sights and sounds of this celebration. Clowns would make balloons. Politicians would be there to, to toss their candy out and give their propaganda. And, and, and parades really are just a celebratory event. And, and I look forward to those. Even today, they're, they're things that are fun to go to but it was on a a Sunday a week prior to this day in our in our verse that we're reading that that just before Passover and Jesus was making his way into Jerusalem along with his disciples. They, they were coming up through this exciting parade down through the streets of Jericho and, and after that they met with a man, a little bitty man by the name of Zacchaeus and he had dinner with him at his house and his life was changed and transformed that very moment because of his relationship and his interaction with Jesus. As they approached Bethphage and Bethany on the, the eastern side of the Mount of Olives, Jesus, he asked a few of his disciples, a couple of them, to go on ahead in town and, and, and to get things set up for the parade that was about to take place. And they were to gather for him a, a colt of a donkey in which he would then come down and ride into the city upon. Well, it was what happened as he approached he's riding on this donkey and, and the people have taken off their, their cloaks and they're laying them on the streets and celebrating and shouting and singing and, and just the, the applause of what was happening because their king was finally coming into Jerusalem and, and they were looking forward to their Messiah being established with a throne there forever and ever and, and the street was lined up with a multitude of people shouting and cheering and singing and, and they were saying blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest while some weren't too happy about this impromptu parade primarily the Pharisees Jesus knew that the people needed to know something great and marvelous was about to take place and if they didn't even cry out about this he said that the rocks upon which they were walking were going to cry out and give him glory and give him praise You see, the very redemption of man was just about to take place. Now that, I think, calls for a celebration and a parade. Now let's jump forward about five days. And another parade is is about to take place. It's it's beginning formed right there at the the Praetorium Palace on the northwest corner of the Temple Mount. No longer is going to come from the east down the mountainside, but it's going to come from where Pilate is living and where he passes his judgment to criminals. This parade is a little bit different this time. It's, it's making its way through the streets of Jerusalem down what they call the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering. And it's along this parade that we encounter our faces about the cross today. If ever there was a just cause for tears, it it would seem to be right here and right at this moment. Jesus, along with his two criminals, they're on their way to Calvary. and The streets are jammed with, with curious onlookers, and the crowds are for the most part pretty hostile to them, especially to Jesus, and it's quite a difference than earlier in the week. They seem to have some sort of resentment for his weakness. And they find it easy to ridicule him and to to mock him and and to shout insults at him because they think this man, at any moment, he's about to really fall under the weight of the cross in which he's carrying. But while these faces in the crowd are for the most part unfriendly, there are a few exceptions to it as well. I recognize that the reaction of Jesus to those tears that he sees here by these women, maybe it's... Kind of confusing that why he would ask, the, you know, be surprised about why he would say the things he says to them. It seems he doesn't appreciate their tears. Yet no man in history had ever been quite so appreciative of, as he was at this moment. No other man in, in history had, had quite the sensitive nature as to what was taking place and the kindness that was being shown him. It was less than this week prior as he was in Bethany Jesus was at the home of a man by the name of Simon who had been a leper and he was giving a dinner party and while he was there a young woman approached Jesus and she took out an alabaster jar and she broke it open and she poured this very expensive perfume upon his head a lot of people didn't really understand what was going on matter of fact it was judas who who thought that there could have been something more useful for that kind of perfume he could have sold it and make a bunch of money but how, how useless was it for her to waste it all on jesus at this time you know jesus appreciated what she had done and he called it beautiful matter of fact he even declared that this woman would be connected with him then throughout all history and she should be remembered for what she had done. In John chapter, or Matthew chapter 26, verse 13, he makes this statement. He says, "Truly I say to you, whoever, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her." Yet he shows no appreciation for the tears of these women. And I wonder why. I think there's probably two reasons. The first one is this: that, that Jesus, like any man, has a natural aversion to pity, and so he doesn't want to be pitied. But maybe the second one is is this: the main reason why Jesus doesn't appreciate their tears is because he sees that these women have missed the real point of the tragedy. I mean, he sees that they're mistaken in their tears. There are some people in our world that really they have no sense of humor. Uh, they either they don't laugh at at anything or, or they laugh at the wrong times and at the wrong things. And and even so I think there are people who are very similar to that in their tears. They're probably crying for the wrong reasons, or they don't really know why to cry or they don't cry at all. These women I, I think are perfectly right in their understanding to cry and to shed their tears. But they're weeping for the wrong reason. They're sobbing over Jesus when they ought to be sobbing over themselves and their children for what is about to come upon them. And just a years down the road when the Jerusalem itself is going to be destroyed in the year 70 A.D. And Jesus sees the terrible onslaught of the Romans that is coming. And he knows that these people are about to be punished by Rome. Jesus, I think, had a different understanding of things. You see, it's evident that Jesus does not count himself as the object of pity. He declares rather that the pitiable ones are the women themselves and that they are the people as a whole who have turned against him and who are now crucifying him. They, above all things, the religious leaders who in their self-chosen holiness and blindness are crucifying the Prince of Life. No wonder Jesus cries in Luke chapter 23, verse 28. But turning to them, he says, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that have never borne, the breasts that have never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. You see, Jesus is just simply stating the fact that it's an extremely important thing that we put things in proper perspectives. While many people seem to limit the importance of what Christ has done for us on the cross, I think we ought to think again about it. Our rejection of Jesus leaves us only one alternative. And from where we sit in the 21st century, it seems that hell has cooled quite a bit and and it's more like a fairly good summer resort for us to go to. But the reality is, hell is just as on fire today as it was when it was established. It's written into the constitution of life that men who refuse to obey the laws of physical health, they, they're going to suffer. And also, it's, it's no less written in the constitution of spiritual life that the men who refuse to obey the laws, spiritual health, must also suffer. If we neglect to take the bread, our body begins to, to become weak and eventually die. But spiritually, if we neglect to take the bread of life, we also are dead in our life and useless to things. Look around our world today. We're living in one of the most tragic eras in all of history. Our whole world is sick, but there's only one disease, and it's not COVID-19. It's sin. You see, we have rejected Jesus And when we reject Jesus and we reject God, we have crucified our Lord. And and by doing so, we're crucifying ourselves and our world even, even more. Jeffrey Studdard Kennedy wrote a poem. He entitled it, When Jesus Came to Golgotha. And I think it fits us even in our day today. Listen to what he has to say. When Jesus came to Golgotha, they hanged him on a tree. They drove great nails through hands and feet and made a calvary they crowned him with a crown of thorns red were his wounds and deep for those were crude and cruel days and human flesh was cheap when Jesus came to our town they simply passed him by they never hurt a hair of him they only let him die for men had grown more tender and they would not give him pain they only just passed down the street and left him in the rain Still, Jesus cried, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And still it rained, the winter rain that drenched him through and through. The crowds went home and and left the streets without a soul to see. And Jesus crouched against a wall and cried for Calvary. But if he's not to be pitied, what are we supposed to do? How about? How about that that he's to be congratulated because he is within the will of God. He's doing exactly what God asked him to do. And so Jesus had had asked above all else things that he might have the privilege to do his Father's will. And and he was in this world to do exactly that. And and then this answer of his prayer. As he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed that evening that his will would be done. We now see him fulfilling that prayer. And so he goes his lonely way. And his conscience of the fact that he is right with God and he's right with himself, obeying God, he is enjoying the fellowship with God as he walks this lonely road of the Via Della Rosa. In John, the 8th chapter, and verse 28 and 29, Jesus said to them, Whenever you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as my Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. But if we suggest that going to the cross cost him nothing, well, so it has. I mean, in spite of that, he, he is to be congratulated, for he has been found faithful to his Father and doing his will. He's also to be congratulated because he's doing the thing that he himself longed to do and that he was looking forward to it and he was awaiting in his own ability to give himself. Those, those wailing women, they think that the cross is being forced upon him and his weak shoulders. They think that his life is being wrenched from his hands. But Jesus, he understands that they're wrong. And, and he's stating it emphatically. Listen to what he says in John chapter 10, verse 18. He says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So in other words, Jesus is saying, I found something big enough to live for, but I've also found something that is big enough to die for. The joy that was set before him, he took on. He endured the cross, despising its shame, and and therefore we should congratulate him that he's walking in this parade, rather than shedding tears for him. Finally, I, I think that Jesus, he forbids their tears because he's living victoriously. And I'm aware of the fact that if ever a man seemed defeated, it had to have been Jesus at this moment. As he's stumbling along this road under the weight of this beam of a cross that he's going to have to bear for his own crucifixion. He'd set out no lesser purpose than the redemption of this world. And at first, he was a very popular man. I mean, great multitudes of people, they were held captive by every word he spoke and by every miracle he performed. But now his popularity has changed to a hot and a bitter hate and antagonism. And they mock him as he walks and they jeer him as he stumbles and they laugh as they see the the blood tears that flow from his face. What a pathetic failure they seem to be for him. Yet only just a few hours earlier Jesus had said in John 16:33 "But take heart I have overcome the world." Even now he's a conqueror. Even now he, he's one who is victorious, but not only so, but he will continue on as a conqueror through endless ages, never to be defeated again. He is filled with a quality of life that nothing can destroy, neither evil men, evil men, nor death itself. And since Jesus, therefore, is within the will of God, since He is doing the task that he supremely loves, since he is winning, and he knows that he will go on winning forever and ever. Surely that is not a matter for tears, but it is a matter of song and celebration and congratulations. But notice next. Jesus, he turns the table on their tears. In verse 38 of Luke 23, he says, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children I think we need these words today just as much as the wailing women did back then. Our tears are often mistaken as theirs were. We need to discover the Lord's sense of values so that we know when to laugh and when to cry. It was very significant that Jesus earlier that week as he entered triumphantly down that road wept over Jerusalem because of the horrible tragedy that he saw was ahead of them. And as he's riding that, that donkey down the road, he stopped. And he prayed and he, he saw Jerusalem from a perspective that, he, that the world couldn't see it. And then John tells us that Jesus wept. And he does. You see, in John 11, verse 41 and 44, it says that when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemy will set up a barricade around you and your children within you and and they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Who was it that Jesus wept so bitterly for? It was these who were rejecting him this day as he walks that lonely road to Calvary. It is these people that are not his friends, but rather it's his enemies. But while Jesus wept over his enemies, he never wept in such a fashion over his friends. I mean, There was a tragedy there ahead for these enemies that was far deeper than that of a physical death. And we can be sure of this because when Jesus foretold the persecution of his friends, he didn't even cry over them. He didn't show the slightest emotion when when he told one of his dearest friends the manner in which he would die for the cause and for the glory of the kingdom of God. He said that in John 17, verse 15 I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He knows that we're going to suffer, but he knows that his suffering as well is united with ours. And we need to go through certain things in life in order to understand the pain and the tragedy of what the cross was for Jesus. But he doesn't shed a tear for the suffering that will endure there because he knows that what is better than that is beyond the grave. His one prayer for his disciples was the same as for himself. Thy will be done. In the first century, two young men heard about Jesus and they heard this appeal of Jesus. One of them, a man by the name of Stephen, he was so taken captive by Jesus that that he threw himself into his service with such passionate devotion that that really none had ever seen before. In sharing his faith with others, Stephen stirred up such a a heated antagonism that that he was publicly publicly mobbed and stoned and beaten and, and battered. And then his, his torn up young body was laid in an untimely grave. Stephen had been coming the first martyr of the church. The other man was one that we're just going to call the, the rich young ruler. Jesus cast a, such a compelling shadow over him that one day, that man, he left his palace to run down the road and he knelt before Jesus. And and when Jesus saw how honest and how pure his love for for him was, that, that he showed him love as well. And in his eagerness to give his best, Jesus said this to him. One thing that you lack, and this is found in Mark chapter 10, verse 1. One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven follow me. But the price was higher than this young man was willing to pay. Therefore we read of him that sentence that says that he went away grieving. So he refused to squander his life as Stephen did and he was wise enough by the world's wisdom and by their standard to keep his head and and not to let his emotions get the better of him. And as I kind of bring this to a conclusion i want to look at these fellows at where they might have been down the road i'm going to imagine that these two stephen and this young ruler were friends and i'm going to imagine even further that they had a, a mutual friend who who had who had loved them both and 40 years now have gone by and let's say since stephen was martyred and and today this mutual friend is visiting with this rich ruler who's no longer young but rather He is rich and a gracious old man. And his friend says to him, Well, in Jerusalem the other day, I decided to visit the grave of Stephen. And, and, you know, I I expected to have a a hard time finding that grave, but it was no trouble at all. You you see, there was a well-worn path that led out to it. Besides, there were some some flowers there upon his grave that were as fresh as the morning. And, and, And as I stood there, I could hardly keep back the tears as I thought of how much Stephen missed. He's been dead now for 40 years. And I rejoice over you because I thought of how near you came to following that fanatical carpenter. And you too could have been sharing the same fate as Stephen I wouldn't have given much for your chance that day, the way you ran down from your palace and you kneeled down on the ground before him asking to to follow him. You'd always had a pretty good eye for money, and so when you turned and walked away, I knew that he hadn't deceived you. And I bet you've congratulated yourself ever since of your escape from him a thousand times over. But I picture that rich old ruler pausing before he spoke, And as he shakes his head slowly, he turns to his friend and he begins to say through very tired eyes, no, you're mistaken. I've not congratulated myself ever since. I was disappointed that day when I walked away knowing what I was leaving behind. And I have felt that same disappointment day after day. Even today, I feel I'm doing so. I've missed the very best that I could have had in him. I'm sure that Stephen used his life better than I have used mine. You said you and I were there when we saw Stephen die. We understood what he was speaking about and what he loved and what he said he saw at that moment just before he took his last breath. That he saw the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the throne of God. And that is what I have longed for myself. He had a light in his face on that day even in death that I have never been able to take away from my own eyes. No, I don't cherish living the life I've lived. I wish I could have lived as He did. Stephen, he came out to be the winner. You see, he was right. There's only one tragedy for all of us, and it's to miss this important thing, knowing God through Christ Jesus. You see, He is our only hope in this life and in the life that is to come. And I pray that God helps us to believe that. You know, we have this chance in our world today to make a difference in our neighbors' lives and our coworkers' lives. While we may not be able to see them face to face and to hold out our hands and to embrace, yet you can use the words of our Savior as they are ingrained upon your heart, and through faith share those with other people, don't let any opportunity go by in which you can celebrate what Jesus did that day. Our tears not be for His death upon a cross because of our sins, but we should celebrate that He was faithful to God and that He went that way. And that he gave his life and that no one took it. That he laid it down for us so that he would be able to take it up once again. And you and I can then celebrate in a resurrection of life just as much. Because if we believe in him, even if we die, we shall live. I pray you believe that. We're going to move into a time with another song with Rob and then come into our time of communion. And I want to walk us through with that. And if you'd like to get some things prepared so that you can take together with us, I challenge you to do that. But let me close us out with prayer as we celebrate the victorious day, Palm Sunday, in which Jesus made that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And He was going in victoriously because He knew that He was heading to the cross. Not To become king upon a throne within this world but to be the Messiah that the Scripture spoke about so long ago victorious let's pray father we ask that you would give us the opportunity even in our ability physically distancing ourselves from one another that we would not use that to be secluded, but Father, somehow we would still find the means and the ways to communicate the truth that Jesus went to the cross of His own accord, that nobody put Him there, that He did that of Himself and that He gave up His life for us. Father, give us the means to share the story of Jesus with a world who is sick and who is dying of sin and self-righteousness. And it's in the name of your one and only Son, Jesus, whom we pray. Amen.